today we got one of my favorite Matt sound effects when he went, ooh, 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 It's so good. It's like when I get excited and I know something. I know. I love it. So this is our first show coming off the back of AGConf. I know that feels like a while away. How do you feel like the uh, the experience went? I think there was a number of, of surprises in there. I think the, the production quality, we had like an events company put it on this year. The production quality was, was amazing. It was great fun. I continue to be impressed at the level of production that takes place for AGConf. We had the same... MC this year that we did last year. I genuinely think that that guy is is funny. Like I love watching him on camera. I just I think that he is he's like a very funny person, and it's it's a good time. It makes me chuckle. And uh, of course, Flow Rider turned up. That was uh, unexpected. <laughs> you can't forget that. I joined late, and I didn't know who Flow Rider was. <laughs> I, tried. I didn't. Sorry, I know who Flow Rider is. I couldn't pick him out of a crowd, and so I just joined. And there was a gentleman singing with a couple of backup dancers, and I was like, "What did I tune into here?" <laughs> could have been anyone. It could have been anyone, Anna. The thing that Rue text was: Is it a you know a Flow Rider tribute band sort of thing? Oh, no. um, <laughs> See, I was like racking my brain being like, what songs did Flo Rider do again? And then he smashed out a couple of them and I thought, oh no, yeah, I know this one. Oh, I know this one yeah. too. Okay. Yeah, I said to Carrie, my wife, I said, well, Flo Rider showed up at the end and she like busted right into one of his songs. And I go, okay, like you were the audience for this. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I, I think is a bit odd, right, is that uh, there were a lot of mentions of our... Our new investor, 1Password user Brian Reynolds. We've seemed to have gone straight for an A-lister, but we've missed out any of the, the kind of the B or the C-listers uh, who could champion 1Password kind of at their level of, of celebritism. Who would you like to be your, your 1Password champion who is a, like not an A-lister? Hmm. I've got two suggestions. One, uh, celebrity chef Gino DeCampo. Probably a, uh, you know, a niche. I love him. He uh, uttered the one of my favourite phrases, which was, uh, if my grandmother had wheels, she would have been a bike. Yeah. Protesting about putting ham in his pasta dish. In his carbonara, yes. That was on, that was on, uh, on a, like a morning this show morning, segment, right? Yeah. Where, this, where this woman was like, <laughs> she, she like described the dish as something else. And he was like, no, no, no. I, I feel like he would do a great job uh, being like a one password champion. Yeah. My other one is, is Frankie Muniz, uh, <laughs> really? which I don't think he's done much since Malcolm in the Middle, but I feel like, <laughs> I think he's a racing driver now, actually. But yeah, I, f I feel like he would be, he would be quite good. Th those are both B and, and kind of C listers, right? So I would love to see, maybe this isn't, this doesn't make like the B or C list, but I know that Andrew Ray from Binging with Babish is a one password <laughs> user. And I would just love to see him like be all in on 1Password? Yeah. Uh, from like a promotion point of view? All right, I think you win. <laughs> oh, oh, that was it? I won? Yeah, that's a that's a solid choice. I'm going to go for Claudia Winkleman. Oh, that's a that's a choice. Claudia Winkleman? She might not be too well known outside of the UK, but she presents Strictly Come Dancing in this country, and she also has a few radio shows, and she is great. She's very funny, very witty. I, I feel like she's wasted on a lot of the networks that she's on because they kind of like 
tamper her eccentricism yes. because she is quite off her rocker. She's she's <laughs> an odd one, and I and I love it, and I think it it imbues a very British value of being slightly odd. Yeah, she has really good one-liners and really quick comebacks, which I love, and. A very impressive fringe. Oh, she was on Taskmaster. Oh, she's she's fantastic. She's hilarious. Yeah. All right. I think I think we've got you know brand partnerships team. I think we've got that team <laughs> just set with a list now. They can they can go. Excellent. All right. So I think the other thing to mention is that we are now very active on the forum onepassword.community. and you can click on the episodes and fire a question away or an insult as has been done previously <laughs> and um we'll reply in between you know meetings and projects and stuff so if you want to pose a question or talk to us in the in the community or talk to other people that listen to the show and tell them why Gino DeCampo or Claudio Winkleman would be a great uh user to champion one password or come up with your own i'm very interested to see what we <laughs> what we discover there no, no promises at all on actually getting any of these people to, to talk about one password. <laughs> all right. I think we can jump into some Watchtower Weekly. Let's go. Let's do it. Watchtower Weekly is our regular segment named after the Watchtower feature of one password that helps keep you safe online, watches out for breached websites and duplicated and weak passwords and things of that nature. And uh, we break down the news in a Watchtower fashion, talking about different things that have come up around breaches and, and other security issues around the world. So this first one, Facebook blames Apple after a historically bad quarter, saying that the iPhone privacy changes will cost it $10 billion. So Facebook parent company Meta stands to lose $10 billion this year. This year. I was expecting the $10 billion to be like spread over quite a bit. But no, this year, nah. uh, due to a small but impactful change Apple made last year. In April 2021, Apple enabled iPhone users as part of its iOS 14.5 update to choose which apps are allowed to track their behavior across other apps. As a result, a vast majority of users opted out, which Meta CFO David Weiner says is hurting Facebook's ad revenue. Because remember that, you know, they, they track you against other apps that also have the Facebook SDK involved, which is used for, you know, sign in with Facebook or any number of Facebook's doodads that they add on to stuff. The impact of iOS overall as a headwind on our business in 2022 is in the order of 10 billion, he said during the company's fourth quarter earnings conference call. Meta's primary source of revenue is its advertising business, which is built on the massive database of user information, which it has from operating some of the largest social network platforms, Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. If users opt out, Apple cuts off that app from retrieving a variety of data used by advertisers. According to early reports, over 95% of iPhone users who had downloaded the update were opting out. Thus, the prediction from Weiner that Facebook's ad revenue will take a 10 billion hit in the coming year. Facebook also reported its first ever decrease in users. The parent company Meta stock took a major hit as a result. The news comes as Meta said that it may have to shut down Facebook and Instagram in Europe over data privacy rules. And at least two European politicians think that that's a good idea. <laughs> so, well, I mean, what do you think about this? Like, how intrinsically linked is that advertising revenue to activity tracking across apps? I'm fascinated by the story. I, I'm not at all surprised to a degree but it sure feels like they put a lot of eggs in one basket 
here. Their stock dropped 26% on the news of this loss. Apple has effectively eliminated their ability to monetize the people on their platform. Yeah, 26%, by the way, is $230 billion of market capitalization. Yes. Whew. I think it was on track to be at least the, the biggest one-day valuation drop in, in US history. Is it bad that when I read this headline, I was just like, oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> boo-hoo to Facebook. Oh, dear. There's a lot of people that have relied on that stock for its value. So, I, you know, I feel bad for the people that have, invested in it and that type of thing and yeah like like rue said that's a heck of a that's 10 billions worth of eggs in in one basket that arguably they knew was changing that's the thing that i don't get there like yeah exactly of course 95 percent of people opted out if given a proper choice no one would allow advertisers to track behavior across sites because it is not in their best interest. Right. It's obvious that the online landscape for advertising is changing. They're not going to be able to play by the same rules that they have all along. So instead of digging in their heels and looking for ways to work around it, they could champion this. Like they could be like, okay, great. Like we are going to champion privacy-based advertising practices. And they didn't or haven't. And now they've, they're literally paying for it. All right. So on to this next one. Google account hacks drop by half after pushing two-step authentication by default. That's the top line finding four months into Google's initiative to enroll users in two-factor authentication by default. So this is reported by The Verge. In October 2021, the company announced plans to turn on two-factor authentication by default for 150 million Google users who are not using the feature and to require 2 million YouTube creators to use it. In the latest post, Google said it observed a 50% decrease in accounts being compromised among that test group. So the strategy shows the power of a tech giant, you know, like Google, to, to provide security by default and fits into a years-long project to move people to a more robust security model. In 2018, a Google engineer revealed that more than 90% of active Gmail accounts were not using two-factor authentication, prompting questions as to why Google wouldn't make the, the two-step authentication process mandatory. Since then, the company has been on a path to make 2FA or 2SV, as they coin it, because everybody needs another term, a default option for the greater share of users and a mandatory step for some. So according to Google representatives, one of the remaining barriers is adoption and lack of understanding about the full benefits of additional authentication procedures. So the director of account security and safety at Google said, there is a lot of educating that needs to happen with 2SV and we want users to understand what it is and why it's beneficial. Oh, I really hate that they gave it another term. Sorry, 2SV is two-step verification. Right, Arguably, two-step verification is a little bit easier to understand than two-factor authentication, but yeah. Agreed. This goes to show some of the lack of understanding and the difficulty of adoption. Twitter, which has rolled out two-factor authentication in 2013, revealed that in 2020 that only 2.3% of active accounts had enabled it. At Facebook, the figure was around 4% adoption in 2021. So it is not the golden bullet that some people in security believe because the, of the adoption. It's, it's so hard to inconvenience people by having them getting their phone out and, you know, checking their email for the number or checking their text or opening authentication app or something like that. Like, 
No one wants this. I think if you sign up and it's kind of intrinsically linked to the sign up and onboarding process, there's kind of a different different feeling around it. But adding it on top later, I don't think users want this. And so the understanding of the additional benefits is really difficult. It's what makes pushing a password manager on someone really difficult in the beginning. And then when it actually makes someone's life easier, which is sometimes arguably like weeks, months later, that's when they finally understand the value. I guess that's what Google's done here, really, by pushing two-step authentication on their users. I wonder if the benefit is found by those those folks, though, right? Because they've just made it mandatory. <laughs> like, they haven't... You don't think that they've taught these... No, no, not at all. You don't think anyone's learned anything as a result of this. It's just like, oh, there's another <laughs> thing I have to do. All right. There was not a eureka moment. Yeah. And and any way that they can go around it, they will. <laughs> right. Google account hacks might have dropped by half, but I bet, you know, 2FA resets have gone up you know, <laughs> threefold. Oh, man. You've managed to turn this good news headline into a slight negative here, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just think we need to balance, like, doing stuff like this with education, you know, with showing some of the benefits and overall i think 2fa really struggles from an adoption issue and a honestly a bit of an engagement one right no one wants to do this so how can we make it easier and i think the the answer to that is something like authy or one password or any number of those things that don't just fire it out as an email i think the apple implementation of 2fa is pretty good and I bet iCloud, even that, even that implementation, which is arguably the best implementation because they have the hardware and the software, I bet that's not above 10%. No, I bet it is because it's it's the default for every new device. And is it default? Yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm 90% certain that it is. And older devices and accounts are strongly encouraged to enroll in it. Like it, they, they get a little, a little pushy about it. Uh, if you're in the Google ecosystem... It's the same as the Apple ecosystem. Like, I mean, my Android phone, when I sign in to our Google account at certain points, it'll say like, oh, we've pushed a code to your to your phone. Like, go ahead and type that in. It's it's the exact same experience. But like they've started to do that, that like trusted device model. That's the benefit of like an Apple or a Google is that they can create that trusted device model for third parties, a shopping website or something like that. They don't have that. And that makes adoption of the feature so much more difficult. It's nice to see this report. I don't think it's doing the education bit because people aren't seeing that they're being kept safer. It's just that they are in this particular instance. So there's still a long ways to go here. I think. Yeah. And, and like, I wonder whether this is repeatable on other businesses just because Google is able to do it because like a slight hill or, or a slight bump in your experience of Google is is still like, you're not going to abandon the whole of your Gmail account just because of this. But if it comes to like shopping or, or, or something like that, where you could just you could just buy the thing from another website, that's where arguably you need this kind of additional security factor, but you're not going to get it because they care about their bottom line. And that is vastly affected by the amount of people that would you know, sign up for 2FA during a checkout process or something. I think this is where we, as 1Password, have a lot to offer here. I didn't mean for mm -hmm. this to turn into an ad for 1Password, but I feel like we are, we're very well positioned to smooth out this process 
we already tell folks when their logins support two-factor authentication. If we can make it even more painless to enable two-factor authentication, and then, of course, we guide them through the sign-in process by filling in their two-factor code and stuff, we basically make it go away. We make that pain disappear for them. So in a lot of ways, like 1Password is almost that trusted device in the way that an iCloud or a Google account has the ability to do that with your phone. 100%. So hacker could have printed unlimited ether. Is it eth or ether? One of the two. Either. Not ether. Either. <laughs> no, it is definitely eth. Uh, so a hacker could have printed unlimited eth, but chose $2 million bug bounty instead. So this is on protoss.com. A self-styled grey hat. Is that what we're calling them now? Gandalf. So a white hat hacker is someone who's good a black hat hatter is someone who is on the bad side right i need to look into my uh, hackerisms and then a, a gray hat is someone who will eventually fight uh, a balrog and die and come back as a white hat hacker yes so. right okay perfect <laughs> taking anna's analogy and running with it yep and they might work for amazon now i guess <laughs> so the self-style gray hat hacker figured out how to trick ethereum scaling solution optimism into effectively printing unlimited ETH, ether early this month. So software engineer Jay Freeman, who goes by Sourick online, didn't leverage the exploit. Instead, he reported the issue to Optimism's dev team, who paid him a $2 million bug bounty. Uh, maybe they just printed the unlimited ETH. <laughs> <laughs> so Freeman is probably best known for his work on Cydia, the app store for jailbroken iPhones. I do remember his name in that community when you bought an iPhone and a year later when the new ones came out, you were like, should I buy the new one or should I just jailbreak my old one and change the icons? So, however, more recently, he's been looking for bugs on blockchains. And according to a breakdown on Freeman's website, he discovered the glitch while looking into so-called nano payment protocols. We are just making up terms faster than hacker names here. <laughs> Optimism is one of these protocols. They allow users to send small amounts of crypto with little transaction fees, albeit with security trade-offs. Similar to blockchain bridges like Wormhole, the platform mints alternative Ether tokens that exist only on Optimism's networks. If you are not familiar with Ethereum or the blockchain or anything like this, I promise these aren't made up words. <laughs> I, I have had a little dabble in this area, but the user experience of all of this stuff is absolutely dire at the moment. Things take ages, cost so much money to move money around. They've got some serious stuff to sort out in the world of uh, Web3. But users on this service first lock their Ethereum inside a smart contract as collateral to receive their tokens, which double as IOUs. These tokens can then be transacted quicker and cheaper compared to on-chain transactions almost instantly which makes optimism a potential layer two solution for scaling ethereum because you know it doesn't scale at the moment when optimism users want to cash out their ious they must first wait one week before their real ether tokens are then released freeman discovered a glitch in this section of optimism's code which forces smart contracts to delete themselves and return the related eth to uh, the sender Optimism's self-destruct function returned crypto to the sender, but kept their related off-chain IOUs. This could be exploited to trick smart contracts into looping through the glitch, thus 
minting infinite layer two crypto. So if you are still with me, that is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the silence here. Yeah. So I'm sorry. All I could do was sort of put myself in the mindset of like 2003 Michael Fay and like listening to you say all this stuff and be like, what is even happening in the year 2022? Yeah. This is ridiculous. I feel like a person in a GIF, like with loads of algebra in the background. Just don't, <laughs> don't understand. Looking really confused. What really worries me about this space is just the speed of which things are iterating at the same point as people who don't quite understand all of this stuff because they're not in it day and day are plying it with money. People are, are, are really, you know, you should really only invest what you can afford to lose. And I don't think that is the mentality currently with cryptocurrency. We should have someone to come on and talk cryptocurrency security at, at some point. I think it would be very interesting. So this last one, MoviePass will track people's eyes through their phone cameras to make sure they don't look away from ads. This is reported in 1980, uh, no, um, in uh, The Independent. Uh, so <laughs> MoviePass, a service that lets users watch movies inexpensively, uh, it shut down in 2019, but it's returning as an app that will track users' eyes when they watch adverts. The new service will use facial recognition and eye tracking technology to ensure that viewers' eyes are looking at promoted content in exchange for access to films. It's a way to close the loop and make it far more efficient of a system, co-founder Daisy Spikes said. <laughs> I want to be able to see it for free. Advertisers have to put a pre-show together not unlike what you'd normally see when you go to a movie theater, but it is customized for you. Oh, customized. <laughs> the tracking will happen only on the user's device with the digital currency then going into a virtual wallet. The facial recognition algorithm using the phone's cameras will make sure the user is not ignoring the advert. I hate this. <laughs> I hate all uh, of this. <laughs> if you've got a, a young child, like a, a baby you could rack up some seriously good cash here. <laughs> oh my All God. you've got to do, right, is just sit the baby there and then no. put the phone in a stand, play all those adverts. No. You're making money off your kid. Now, all they want to do is watch Kinder Eggs being opened on YouTube, Matt. They don't want to watch an advert. <laughs> but, like, is what I said so much worse than this? That's what you've got to ask yourself. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, because you're leaning into this. You're, you have decided that this is okay, and now you're trying to monetize it yourself. Mm, if mm -mm. it uses facial recognition, maybe it could tell. Maybe it could determine between users, play adverts based on all of your history of life. Whoa, this is, yeah, this is horrible. Stacy Spikes goes on to say, we had an early version of this where you know what happened. People put the phone down and left and didn't pay any attention to it. Right now, 70% of video advertising is unseen. This is a way that advertisers get the impact that they're looking for, but you also get the impact yourself. What I want to know, is anyone going to actually watch for an ad to watch an Adam Sandler movie? <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, I, I wonder whether... It just pauses when you don't look at it. And so actually like this creepiness has kind of been abstracted away by them just like pausing the advert if you don't look at it. And I wonder if they actually tell you up front, hey, we're going to use the camera and like we're going to track your eye movement and then do all this kind of creepy stuff and maybe keep a profile of what you've looked at and we know that you've watched it and that type of thing. Like that's the that's the weird thing here, right? Like 
they're not only just tracking your face for watching adverts, but I'm I'm sure they're they know it's then you, and they can also tell what movies you watched. Yeah, and that's definitely not worth it to watch any movie that Adam Sandler's in. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this week at One Password with Adam Cordill, our director of security, and apparently a chicken. What went on here, Rue? We made a new friend, didn't we, Rue? We made we made a new friend, yeah. So we started we started the show and, and Adam had said, Listen, you may hear a rooster in the background. So, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then we proceeded to hear a rooster in the background <laughs> through the entirety of the interview. That it was a very vocal rooster. So enjoy Adam and and the rooster. Yep. Yeah, and if you want to have a little preview of what the rooster sounded like, here we go. <laughs> Dropping by for this week at 1Password is 1Password's Director of Security, Adam Caudill, and also a rooster, which you will inevitably hear in the background. Adam is here today to give us a 1Password basics primer on credential stuffing and how 1Password works to keep you safe online. Welcome to the show, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely great. Thank you so much for having me. That's awesome. To start off, can you give us a little primer on what credential stuffing actually is and maybe an indication if this type of attack is something that's becoming more common? Absolutely. So credential stuffing is the process of taking credentials, taking usernames, passwords that have been stolen in other breaches and finding new ways of using them. It's taking this data and trying to get from a low value source, you know, some discussion forum, something like that, and then going after something higher value, going after a bank account, going after valuable social media accounts, whatever. It's extremely effective because people so often end up reusing their passwords They'll use them on 20 different sites. And if any one of those is breached, then the attacker has the ability to go after all of them. And it is absolutely something that's on the rise. We're seeing it more and more often, and we're seeing it for more and more high-value targets. Everything from cryptocurrency wallets to banking accounts, credit card accounts, you name it. We're seeing it all the time. Credential stuffing is what I consider one of the OG threats online, especially for folks who reuse passwords. Like It is the example that I use whenever I tell someone why they need a password manager. It sounds like it's still sort of well in the zeitgeist of an attacker's repertoire. Oh, absolutely. And it's only gotten worse over the years. The sharing of information among attackers is becoming more and more common, where breaches are being traded amongst scammers for new ways to use this data to expand its value and to get more and more data from the victims. It's something that's been going on for a long time, but it's evolving. It's the data is more widespread than it's ever been. Massive collections are being put together with millions or even billions of records that have been breached in different attacks. It's something that everybody absolutely needs to worry about. And as you said, it is one of the most important reasons for using a password manager. So you don't have to worry about this. That advice of using a strong, unique password for every site, that is an effective defense against credential stuffing then, yes? Absolutely. It is the defense against credential stuffing. It is the most important thing a user can do to defend themselves. It's reusing passwords is such a dangerous practice. It feels like such an obvious question 
to ask our strong unique passwords the thing that thwarts this but also in my time working with you adam i've asked you enough questions that i assume i know the answer to that you've corrected (laughs) me on so i figured we'd get it out there just to make sure right absolutely okay so let's assume that i am reusing passwords i mean i'm not but let's assume that i was for the sake of this discussion let's say that i'm reusing passwords what is the risk to my one password account if a cyber criminal happens to get the password for my one password account via a breach elsewhere like my that password is just out in the ether because the place i buy my socks online got breached so this is one of the things that i love so much about the core design of one password if that password is made public you are facing almost no risk at all and that is because we use something called the secret key it adds complexity to the process in a way that makes it effectively impossible for an attacker to get in, even if they know your password. Okay, yes. Yeah. So the secret key combined with the, the user's account password creates a, a level of encryption that is, I would say, computationally infeasible for it to be cracked. And certainly you need both in order to, to access the information. But where is the secret key made? Like, is this something that people have to come up with themselves? Is it something that we generate on the server and send to people? How does it come into being? Well, this is part of what makes it so special. It's the secret key is always generated on the client side. It's always generated for the user on their own device. This way, we at 1Password, we never see it. We never have access to it. So we can't leak it. So if we were to be attacked, our users are protected because an attacker can't get that information from us. And because we're generating it, it is high entropy, roughly 128 bits. And what this means is when you put it together with the user's password, and especially if the user has selected a good random password for their 1Password account, what you have is something that is so difficult to break. I mean, you're talking, you know, heat death of the universe timelines here. It is remarkably strong. And it creates such an effective security control that you really don't need to worry like you would with a lot of other systems. Is there anything else in our security model that protects our customers from these kinds of attacks? There is. And one of the things that we've worked so hard on is trying to add protection at every level. So we consider ourselves as part of the threat model, you know, as I just alluded to, that if our systems were to be attacked, we don't have the information needed for a user to be attacked. If a user's password is compromised, as we discussed, that doesn't help the attacker at all. Okay. So let's say that I'm using 1Password. I have a strong, unique password for everything that I store in 1Password. What else can I do to protect myself? The first piece of advice I would always give to people is to enable two-factor authentication everywhere you can. And while 1Password and using unique passwords protects you against credential stuffing attacks, there are a lot of other ways that attackers can get in. And by adding two-factor authentication, it adds this additional layer. And that's what so much of security is. It's not just about, oh, I did this step, so I'm good. Real security, effective security, is all about adding layers, adding more and more defenses to a system so that if an attacker is able to breach one level, they're not going to make it through the next one. Okay. We've established that 1Password protects you against credential stuffing attacks by allowing you to generate strong, unique passwords for all of your accounts. And even if somehow your account password was exposed, the secret key protects you against people getting in. What other kinds of attacks 
should we be thinking about and what do we do to prevent them? So there are a number of attacks that are a real concern every day. These attacks can be targeted against individual users. Things like phishing, for example, which is, I would say, on the rise. But let's be honest, it's always been around and it's always going to be around. Social engineering attacks trying to trick users into performing actions that really don't benefit them. And this is one of the places where, once again, two-factor authentication comes in and is very handy. There are accounts that people need to be particularly sensitive about. Your email account, for example. A lot of systems allow for fairly simple password resets. And if an attacker gets into your email account, there's a high likelihood that they're going to get into a number of other systems. And speaking of password resets, a lot of systems use really terrible questions, making it fairly easy to guess and reset a user's password. And too often, the information needed is on sites like Facebook or Twitter. This is one of the reasons that I recommend that for sites that support password reset questions, that everybody generates those answers using 1Password and stores them there. That way they are random, it's impossible to guess, and gives you that extra layer of protection. Because security is all about layers. It's an onion. It's all about adding one layer on top of the next to increase the defense, to, to make it harder for an attacker to get in. Because even if you get through one layer, you're not going to get through the next. You touched on password resets for a minute. And I think it's important to talk about that for just a sec as it pertains to 1Password. It's a very common thing to reset a password. And it's something that our customers ask us to do. It's not something that we can do. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about why that is? Sure. So the way 1Password is designed, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that we did is we wanted to protect our users from us. So if our systems were attacked, our users' data is still safe. A side effect of this is we don't have the encryption keys necessary to allow a password reset. The secret key and the user's password are what create the encryption keys that protect a user's data. If they don't have that password anymore, those encryption keys can't be created and that data can't be decrypted. It's sometimes unfortunate, but it's such an important security control. Because it ensures that no matter what happens to us at 1Password, a user's data is still going to be safe. Yeah, it's one of those things where I always feel bad whenever we get a customer support request asking for it. But at the same time, I try to balance out those bad feelings with the fact that the security model that we have is, is so much safer for everyone. At the end of the day, it's a boon. And when you explain it to people, even though there's a lot of they're still upset because they've lost their password, they understand and they accept why that is. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's very much the experience that I've had is when you explain it to somebody, they understand that while they're now facing an inconvenience, we've built a system that is so robust that we are literally doing everything in our power to protect them and to protect them from every target that we can. All right. Well, Adam, listen, thank you so much for coming by today. I consider this a bit of a speed round of credential stuffing and 1Password safety and, and all of that stuff. Like this was, a, this was a really good primer. And thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I'm always happy to talk about security and always happy to talk about how we do things and what we're doing to keep our customers safe. So on that note, if people wanted to listen to you talk more or see some of the stuff that you've written or just learn more about 1Password security, where should they go? Well, the first place to go is the 1Password blog. We have documented a lot of what we do, a lot of why we do what we do, and offer advice on a number of different fronts there. 
So I would definitely suggest everybody check out the blog and see what we've got for them. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Adam. This was great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, so finally we have Ridiculous Requirements. Yeah. So welcome to Ridiculous Requirements, the game where we work together to come up with passwords, not advice that fit the honestly terrible requirements. And this week we're going to go musicals themed because you both mentioned that you would like that on the last episode. So here we go. Well, I hope that you know your musicals because I have (laughs) not got a clue. That surprises me, Matt. I thought you would be well into musicals. Yeah, I really dislike them because I don't think it's a natural way to move into a song. Everybody in West Side Story would have just got stabbed. Oh my god! Some group that came along uh, that didn't sing just would come along and just wipe them all out. And people aren't cats, but somehow it works, Matt. It didn't work, did it? Wow. Well, the stage show did. Have you seen James Corden? (laughs) All right. What are the requirements? So, the requirements this week are, it must contain the name of two musical films starring John Travolta. It must not contain the word Saturday. It must feature the name of a musical based in the land of Oz, but not one featuring Judy Garland. It must contain the food item Mrs. Lovett sings in Sweeney Todd. It must contain the name of a musical that also shares its name with an American state. And it must contain two numbers signifying the age Liesel was about to become in The Sound of Music. And finally, it must contain at least one symbol. That's a lot of requirements this week. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, obviously, there's a Grease, right? John Travolta. Yeah, that is one of them. And the Saturday one that you're looking for, I think, is Saturday Night Fever. Was that a musical? It was, yes. But it contains the word Saturday. It must not contain the word Saturday. Okay. So we're looking for other things that John Travolta has done. Wild Hogs. No, probably not that. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a musical. <laughs> Broken Arrow. Mm. What else did he do? <laughs> Pulp Fiction? <laughs> nope. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, what's the what's the one where he dressed up as a, a as a woman? Oh, um, not Big Mama's house, but it's it's similar. <laughs> oh, is it? Wait, is it hair? Wait, is it hair? It's got hair in the name. Hairspray. Oh, hairspray. It is hairspray. There we go. Okay. Nice. Right. So we've got the must not contain the word Saturday as well. Okay. So it's grease hairspray. Yep. Must. Feature the name of a musical based in the land of Oz, but not one featuring Judy Garland. So that's wicked. Yep, you're right. That is wicked. Right, okay. Yep. Oh, is that the Defying Gravity song? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty good. Uh, it must contain the food item Mrs. Lovett sings about in Sweeney Todd. That's meat pies, right? Well, do you know what? I did watch 10 minutes of this musical. A whole 10 minutes. What's her name? Helen Bonham, Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham right? yeah. Carter. A.K.A. Bellatrix Lestrange. I think she is a brilliant actress. She but is. But... Inter- international treasure. If she sings the worst pies in London, <laughs> I have to turn it off. It's a terrible song. It's sung terribly. You get bonus points if you sing that right now well it, the way she sings it is just like the worst pies in london <laughs> it's, the, it's the worst i just oh it's awful i yeah i'm really not a musical fan i i apologize for anybody <laughs> who is okay so pies 
Yes, pies. Grease hairspray pies. Yeah. That's disgusting as a phrase. Wicked pies. It's meat pies, though, isn't it? Right. They're just called pies in London, in uh, in England. You don't call yeah. anything a meat pie, because that's weird. All right. If someone offered you a meat pie, what's the yeah. first question you'd have? <laughs> what meat is it? Yeah, exactly. So just call it a chicken pie. Right. Anyway, uh, it must contain the name of a musical that also shares its name with an American state. Oklahoma. That is correct, yes. It's where, the, it's where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. Okay. It must contain two numbers signifying the age of Liesel was about to come in Sound of Music. I don't know either of those things. It's, is it, do you want 16 and 17 or just 17? Just 17 because she is 16, about to turn 17. Yeah, okay. The, the, it must contain two numbers though is the thing that, that confused uh, me. Ah, I see. So. Right, one and seven then. One and seven. I see. Okay. And uh, must contain at least one symbol. So one of these musicals has a symbol in it. All right. Is it wicked? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're just going to go down. There. Is it grease? Is it ex- grease exclamation point? No. Is it hairspray exclamation point? <laughs> no. Oh, it's Oklahoma exclamation point. Yes, oh. it is. <laughs> we got there in the end. Hooray. All right. All right. Grease, hairspray, wicked, pies, Oklahoma, 17. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. I love this game. That would have been a good password if we hadn't just read it out. Agreed. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. You did well then. That was a good one. I enjoyed that, even though... um, You enjoyed that more than the musicals themselves. I think so, yeah. I was definitely more engaged and didn't switch off for all of that, which is not (laughs) what I can say for all of these musicals. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to get musical hate now. People people who like musicals really like them, right? Yeah, I would say so. You know what? I like to think that it's okay for you to dislike them, and I think that people who like musicals aren't going to be precious about someone saying that they don't like it. It's okay. Yeah? Have you been on the internet long? (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's been a pleasure. Shall we sing I Love You? No. (laughs) I love you. There we go. Hey. Give you a little bit of that. Love you. Love you. Love you both. Go on, Matt. Bye. (laughs) 